as we journey through life, we don't have total control over the hand of cards we've been dealt. We have choice over how we play that hand. Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Teresa Mackin, filling in for Matt Martella today. I'm joined by Idy Kessner, Dean of the Kelly School and Frank P. Popoff, Chair of Strategic Management. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. So if you're considering a tough leadership topic you think we should explore, or if you know of someone who would make a great guest for our show, send us an email to ROIPod, that's R-O-I-P-O-D at IUPY.edu. Today, we're sitting down with Marshall Goldsmith, a leading executive coach and best-selling author. He is a new member of the Thinkers 50 Hall of Fame, and the American Management Association named Goldsmith one of 50 great thinkers and leaders who have influenced the field of management during the past 80 years. Business Week called him one of the most influential practitioners in the history of leadership development. Goldsmith is a Kelly MBA graduate, and he received the Kelly School of Business 2009 Distinguished Entrepreneur Award. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for inviting me. So happy to be here. I love my time at IU. We really appreciate it. You have written more than 40 books, and today we want to focus on one of the more recent ones. It's called Triggers, Creating Behavior That Lasts, Becoming the Person You Want to Be. And we thought perhaps the most important place to start in discussing this book is simply with understanding the essence of the main title, Triggers. So can you explain what are triggers and why are they so important to this idea of behavioral change? A trigger is any stimulus that may impact our behavior. So it could be a sight, a sound, a word, or a smell. So when we begin our day, we have this fantasy of what the day is going to be like. We don't plan on this. Yet as we go through the day, all kinds of things come up around us. Now, sometimes these triggers push us toward becoming the person that we want to be. That's the exception. In most cases, triggers push us away from the person we want to be. Uh, you want to go on the diet, but you smell the bacon cooking, or let's just have one more drink, or, you know, just all millions of triggers are bombarding our lives. Or you want to go online, I'm going to look something up on Google, and it's only going to take three or four minutes. Three hours later, you're still online. You have no idea why you went online in the first place. Three hours just passed. Well, these are all examples of triggers. Any stimulus may impact our behavior. So, Marshall, there, there's a statement in your book that I really liked, and I'm wondering if you might explain it to our listeners. You wrote, fate is the hand of cards we've been dealt. Choice mm. is how we play the hand. And I suspect you have lots of examples. Would you mind may maybe sharing an example with our audience and explaining what you mean by that? Yes. As we journey through life, we don't have total control over the hand of cards we've been dealt we have choice over how we play that hand. And let me give you a parable. I call this the beer can and the golfer, and it's perfect for today's time of crisis, okay? Uh, the golfer gets ready to hit the ball, okay? And he's doing pretty well, and this is little country club championship, and he's all excited, and he's on the last hole. And the foursome before him, very noisy, drinking beer, annoying people, very annoying. And he gets up there and he hits a perfect drive. 
right down the fairway and it goes just to the left where he wanted it. But all of a sudden, the ball careens and goes over into the rough. A terrible eyes. What happened? He's so upset. He walks toward the ball. He sees a beer can. The idiots in front of him have left a beer can. He's so angry. He approaches the ball and what is the first thing he has to do? Let go, let go. Forget about the beer can, forget about the drive, the previous shot, let go. Number two, come up with a strategy. If you're one shot behind, go for the green. If you're two shots ahead, pitch over, you still win. Come up with a strategy. Then you walk up to the ball, you breathe. You forget about the beer can. You forget about winning a championship. You do one thing, hit the shot in front of you. Hit the shot in front of you. Well, fate and choice. Fate is the beer can. We don't have any control over that. The hand of cards we've been dealt. The beer can. The rough. That's it. Choice. We make a strategy. Hit the ball. Hit the shot. In the book, you identify 15 belief triggers. Can you give an example or two of a belief trigger and also explain why do these sabotage lasting change? Well, we all have these incredible fantasies about this person we're going to become. And the reality is, for almost all of us, the problem is not knowing who we want to become, it's becoming that person. For example, uh, what happens? I mean, it's incredibly difficult to get people to change behavior. The people I coach are among, you know, the president of World Bank and the head of the Mayo Clinic and the, you know, the head of the New York Public Library and the Rockefeller, on and the CEO of the year in the United States, on and on and on. These are all godlike people, right? It's hard to change. It's hard for anybody to change because we have this fantasy about life. We all set these goals and we think I'm just going to journey through life. And, and, and we have these strange beliefs. Let me just give you a couple of them that sabotage us. Uh, I'll start with my favorite. Today is a special day. Now, you, you see there, Heidi, uh, I'm going to go on my diet, but it's the Super Bowl, you see, the Super Bowl. And I'm going to eat that guacamole and pizza. It's a Super Bowl. Well, you know, I, I'm going to get on that diet, but it's my kid's birthday, you see. It's a kid's birthday. Or it's my mother's birthday. Or it's my birthday. It's got to be somebody's birthday. <laughs> So we have this gift that when we don't want to do something, we can make up every day becomes a special day. I'll do it tomorrow. But today, today is a very different day. Today doesn't count. Another one is called the high probability of low probability events. You see, we never plan on low probability occurrences. Why? Because they're low in probability. You don't plan your computer is going to break, your internet's going to go out, your car is going to wreck, your aunt dies. We don't plan any of this stuff. We might say, well, of course not. They're tiny in probability. The problem is I have a degree in math. There's a million tiny probability things that can go wrong. And the odds on any one of them going wrong are tiny. The odds on something going wrong are almost certain. Every day something goes wrong. How many days do you wake up and nothing happens to get you distracted? Nothing happens to get things out of the way. It always happens. Um, so we've got a lot of those beliefs. Uh, also, we have a belief if I understand, if I understand, I will do. <coughs> wrong. There's a huge gap between I understand and I do. Uh, when, when my book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, was the number one best-selling business book in America. The number one best-selling diet book in America sold 10 times as many copies. Americans get fatter and fatter and fatter while purchasing more and more diet books. Well, you don't lose weight because you purchase a diet book. You gotta go on a diet. The problem is not knowing what to do. You know, the problem is doing it. The 
former governor of California, the, the governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger, had a good quote. You know, he said, nobody got muscles by watching me lift the weights. Well, you know, you got to lift the weights. And it's incredibly difficult to lift the weights. So I've got lots of beliefs like this. We have these crazy beliefs that have nothing to do with reality, of course. So the book is filled with those. You know, I want to follow up on something you just mentioned. You just said it in the last uh, uh, question that you were answering. Um, you said, why don't we become the person we want to be? And you right. stress that the environment around us plays a big role. And you have this statement in the book that I think is incredibly powerful. You say, we think we're in sync with the environment, but actually right. it's at war with us. What do you mean by that? And why is this so very important to understanding triggers? Well, what happens is we think we're on top of things, yet we don't realize we live in this world of constant, constant change. For example, temptation, I'm always tempted by something. You know, I'll give you an example, my own life. Uh, I'm going to be on an airplane. We all have our problems. One of my problems is I like what I do too much. So I'm going to be on an airplane. I'm going to be on an eight-hour flight. I'm going to get all this done. I have this plan. Some guy sits next to me, some poor soul. You know what he says? What do you do for a living? You know, eight hours later, I look over. <clears throat> poor guys are ready to kill themselves. He says, oh, my God, why did I ask, right? Well, you know, great is, uh, I'm sure, Idy, you've never done this, but Great is the need of the student to learn. Greater yet is the need of the teacher to teach. <laughs> well, as we journey through life, see, we got these constant things that are coming up that we never plan for, we never assume is going to happen, because we have this dream life that we're pretending to live, which we don't live. I'm um, struck, actually, by the important role that feedback plays in understanding that connection we were talking about earlier between our behavior and the yeah. environment. Can you talk a little bit about how feedback works? Yeah, well, what I do for a living is let's pretend... Uh, let's pretend, Idy, you're the future CEO, and Teresa, you're the CEO, okay? So everyone I coach is either usually the future CEO or the CEO. So let's say I'm coaching Idy. So Idy, I say, I will work with you if you get feedback. So I interview everyone around her, all of her stakeholders, and they talk about how's she doing, and I write a report. And then you're the CEO, so we meet, the three of us. I say, okay, Idy says, I feel good about this. I want to get better at that. And I say to you, well, CEO Teresa, what do you think? Oh, yeah, that's good. And I say, well, if she gets better at that stuff, it's judged by these people worth this money, yes or no? And the answer is no, don't hire me. If the answer is yes, she can't lose. If she gets better pay me, if she doesn't, it's all free. So that's what I do for a living. And um, feedback is critical. Because how do we know? We all have this image of who we are this image of who we are. Well, the image often has very little to do with reality. Well, you see, it's real easy to see things we don't like in ourselves and everybody else. It's a whole lot harder to see it in ourselves and get feedback from everybody around you. You had to face the fact, you know, maybe, maybe the entire world is not the only ones with problems here. Maybe I got some stuff I need to work on as well. And see, one thing I'm proud of in my job, 30 years ago, no CEO would admit to having a coach. They would have been ashamed. My book triggers 27 major CEOs endorsed that book. The president of the World Bank, CEO of the year in the United States, number two CEO of the year in the United States, you know, CEO of Walmart, no, CEO of Pfizer, CEO of uh, Target, and just on and on and on, you know, great people. Why am I so proud of that? They all need help. We all need help. You also talked about feedback loops. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Well, you know, the feedback loop is you go through this cycle of you, you get feedback and then that feedback produces a change in behavior, that change in behavior then produces more reinforcement and it feeds on itself and continues. So in my coaching, what I do is you get feedback and the feedback is how you're doing. But after that, everything called feed forward. So what you do is you don't ask for more feedback, you ask for ideas for the future. So you say like, I wanna be a better listener, give me ideas. Not, I wanna be a better listener, give me feedback about the past. Because it's much more positive and fun to give feed forward than feedback. It's clear that triggers come in all shapes and sizes. For example, you discuss direct or indirect, internal or external, conscious or unconscious, anticipated or unexpected. I'd like to follow up on two dimensions you discuss, encouraging or discouraging, and productive or counterproductive. How do these these act together to influence our behavior? Well, think of a matrix, a matrix. Now, an encouraging and productive one might, let's just take getting in shape. That's an easy one to visualize. Uh, and encourage, like maybe your friend or relative says, you can do it, they're encouraging you, and when you do better, they give you reinforcement. That's good. But I mentioned myself, um, not much overweight, but I was 10 pounds overweight. I got no encouragement. In fact, I got discouragement. My wife, well, you look fine. My friends, you look fine. You don't need to do this. Eat the dessert. You know, it's, it's, it's discouraging me to be who I want to be. Sometimes you get encouragement to do something you don't want to do. The that the word for that is temptation. You know, have another piece of cake, have a beer, whatever it might be for you. And then, you know, so we have this levels of, do I get encouraged? Do I get not encouraged? And is it productive? Is it helping me be become the person I want to be? Or is it counterproductive, which is it's prohibiting me from being the person that I want to be. Now, you often see this, for example, with unfortunate case of people who have drug and alcohol problems, especially drug problems. And you go back into that same community, it's usually over. It's over because what the, the reinforcement cycle is you're encouraged to do something that's counter to productive. You want to change. They actually do kick the habit, but they become drug addicts again. So a lot of this is the environment. It's not just I'm a good person or I'm a bad person. The drug addict that comes in from a tough neighborhood and goes back and becomes a drug addict again is no better or worse as a person than the drug addict coming back from Vietnam goes into a different neighborhood and kicks a habit. The only difference that triggers in the environment. Yeah, that's a good reminder about how, how much of a role that environment plays for us. Yeah. You, you know um, that an epiphany that you had at one point um, that each of us is a, is our own person in our own personal lives is both planner and doer. And generally right. speaking, you say that most of us are superior planners and inferior doers. And you tell this absolutely wonderful story about a dinner party you hosted in, I think it was 2014 for right. 17 of your coaching clients. You brought them all together. I wonder right. if you would share that story and the lessons you learned from that. Well, I'm, the story really begins with the previous story about I said his name was Randy. His name is Raj Shaw. The reality is Raj, he doesn't care if we tell the story. Raj was head of the United States Agency for International Development at the time. So Raj got an IQ of about a zillion. He was 37 years old reporting to Hillary Clinton. So he's kind of like you know, a big deal. And, and so he's got this IQ of a zillion, but he had a problem. He got all excited about things. So he got all excited. And when he did, he would just start giving people, why don't you do this? So it's, oh, if you look into that. Remember, you know, his brain worked about a million miles an hour. And then all of a sudden, these people are getting like 
four people get the same assignment. So he's getting this feedback, and then at first he tries to do better, and then he, he's okay till the end of the day, and then blah, 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 blah. then he starts going crazy again. Great guy, didn't have any bad intentions at all, didn't even know he was doing it, right? Well, what happened is, this very simply made an index card that he carried in front of every meeting, and whenever he, before he spoke in any meeting, he had to look at the card. Have I given someone this assignment before? <laughs> hey, hey, look at the card. Go, oh, wait, 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 wait. Well, second thought, no, I've already done that. And it's amazing that work. Now, okay, we go to dinner at the Four Seasons restaurant back in the day when it was a big deal. So we're going to this dinner, and I have these fancy dinners for my clients, right? So everybody's, and I had this little game I play. If you say no butter, however, you make some sarcastic comment or something, you pay $20. And the head of the Nature Conservancy was there, Mark Tursick, by the way. I just talked to Mark Tursick a couple of minutes ago. He was there. And the money all goes to Nature Conservancy. So, so of course, he's you know, goat-eating people on anyway. He doesn't care. So he's there. And of course, they all say, well, I'm not going to do this. So then I said, well, I bet you'll all do this because you're probably all going to fail. That makes it worse. Then they're no, 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 no. Of course, you know, then they start drinking. So, and then, you know, once you start drinking, it's a bye-bye. So then they start joking around and drinking, and then all of a sudden people are throwing money at each other, making sarcastic comments and arguing. So he's going on and on and on. So I'm just collecting money. One guy there, who was a CEO of Walmart, he had to go to the cash machine because he ran out of money. Because literally, had to leave the restaurant, go to the cash machine, get more money. And there's only one person that didn't lose money. And that was my friend Raj. Why? He had a card and he put it under his little drinking cup and he said, don't make dumb comments. And he had a rule. He had to, he had to look at the card before he talked. And he was looking at the card and he just watched the others throwing money away. <laughs> so that was it. And, that, you know, in life, we all need encouragement. Let me give an example. I have someone call me on the phone every day. Every day, someone call me. They listen to me read questions I wrote and provide answers every day. People ask me, do I have a coach? I have someone call me every day. Why? You see, they say, well, don't you know the theory about how to change behavior? Why do you need someone call you every day? Don't you know the theory? You see, I wrote the theory. I wrote the theory. That's why I have someone call me every day. My, my name is Marshall Goldsmith. I got ranked number one coach and leadership thinker in the whole world. I have somebody call me on the phone every day just to listen to me read questions I wrote and provide answers I wrote every day. Why do I do this? I'm too cowardly to do this by myself. I'm too undisciplined to do this by myself. I need help. It's okay. We all need help. I, I really like the idea of, of even something as simple as an index card reminding you of something becomes the trigger to ensure yeah. that you stay on track. So I, I think that's very important. And that's one of the reasons I like that story. Um, I also me, enjoy- Let me one more oh, good sure. one before we leave that one. One of my, I, I went through this thing called the daily question process. And one of my questions was, what percent of the day was I mindful? Uh, you know, D&I, that term mindful, you know, I'm a Buddhist, mindful. What percent was I mindful? My answer is about 30% on the average, which I'm sure is a lie. Probably don't even deserve the 30%. I would be mindful all the time, except only one thing prohibits me from being mindful. Do you know what it is? I forget. <laughs> I forget to be mindful. Now, my good friend, Gary Ridge, who's one of the greatest leaders I've ever met, he's the CEO of WD4. He's got the best employee engagement scores in the whole United States. 
and his, in his office, he has a big thing that just says, be mindful. Now he's not stupid, but it's triggers. He goes to work, the phone rings, the voice, the adrenaline starts pumping. He's gone. He's just gone. And he has to have this thing every day, like be mindful. I think I think that's a great example of of using a trigger to help you stay on course and to help you manage the things you want to accomplish in your life and change your behavior. I I also enjoyed reading your description of magic moves. Um, what are magic moves and what makes them magic? And can you give us an example of a few of those magic moves? Yeah, well, some of the ones that I talk about are one is this feed forward. And feed forward is very simple. I just was in uh, St. Petersburg before this crisis. I did a program for 50,000 people in one stadium. And I'd say, you're all going to practice feed forward. You pick something you're going to want to do better. You tell people what it is. You say, my name is Marshall. I'm a better listener. Give me ideas. My name is Mary. I want to be better at recognition. You shake hands, talk to more people. 50,000 people, they all talk to each other. They loved it. So what's magic about feed forward is it, it's about the future you can change. It's not about the past you can't change. It's positive, it's not negative, and it doesn't focus on some humiliating recitation of your previous sins. How much fun is it to relive that? That's not fun. Another one is apologizing. Just being able to say, I'm sorry. It goes such a long way, just a sincere apology of just being able to say, I'm sorry. You know, in many respects, this book is almost an eye-opening look at how executive coaching sessions work. You encourage people to set up a series of daily sessions to stay on track of their own personal behavior change. So you said, each question begins with, did I do my best to, for instance, did I do my best to make progress toward my goals today? Or did I do my best to build positive relationships today? Why is it so important to frame the questions in that way? This is very interesting. I'm gonna give you the six basic questions that are most important. And our research, you saw the research in the book, it's amazing. Six questions to ask yourself every day that begin with, did I do my best to? Now, first I got that from my daughter, Kelly. I have to give you a little background. My daughter, Kelly, I was just bragging about her, just won the award as a number one teacher and researcher in the Vanderbilt Business School, PhD from Yale. So very proud of my daughter, Kelly. So Kelly and I are talking. I went to a program about employee engagement employee engagement, and they had three heads of HR from big companies. They're babbling on about everything about employee engagement. I talk about empower people and training and fear. It was all common sense, right? I've heard it a thousand times. And then they said, well, employee engagement globally is all-time low. I'm thinking, oh, wait a minute, if you're so smart, we know all this stuff, why is employee engagement all-time low? Why do I do this stuff? Well, then I realized 100% of the dialogue and employee engagement is what can the company do to engage you and 0% is you have any responsibility at all for your own life. It's not an exaggeration about it. 100% it's the company's problem, 0% it's the employee's problem. John Kennedy made a great speech, you know, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. This is the opposite of the John Kennedy speech. Everything was the opposite. I said, well, then they're missing a point here. I mean, I'm on the same flight, and then one flight attendant's positive, motivated, and enthusiastic, one's negative and angry. Well, you know, same employee engagement program. The difference is on the inside. Kelly said all the employee engagement questions begin with, for example, do you find meaning at work? Or do you have a best friend at work? Or do you have clear goals? As long as you ask what are called passive questions, if people give you a negative response, they blame the environment. 
Do you have clear goals? No. Why would they? They're confused. Do you have meaning for them? No, no, no. They, they make me do trivia. Do you have a best? No, they're all jerks. Them, them, them. When you ask an active question, you look in a mirror. And especially the question went, did I do my best too? Now, why is that so hard? You can't blame someone. You can't blame someone else. Did I, it doesn't even say you succeeded. Did I do my best too? The six questions. Number one, did I do my best to set clear goals? Now, this last weekend, I, I had 50 coaching sessions with 50 mega successful people. Did I do my best to set clear goals? Their probably average score was like four out of 10. It shocked me how bad it was. Did I do my, because we just forget to set goals. You know, you wake up uh, and you look at your email uh, and then I got a meeting, phone call, and then it's four o'clock. Well, what were your goals today? I guess the answer an email. I don't know what my damn goals were. I, can't, I didn't bother to set the goals. Number two, did I make progress toward achieving my goals? Number three, did I do my best to find meaning? Rather than saying, did somebody give me meaning today? Did I do my best to create meaning? Number four, did I do my best to be happy? Very good question. My favorite line in that book, even the greatest sharpshooter can miss a very big target. Okay, and the final two questions, did I do my best to build positive relationships and did I do my best to be fully engaged? And if you look at the numbers in the book, they're amazing. Just by asking these questions every day, what happens? Like 30, I forget, 34% of the people say I'm better at everything. And 67% said I got better on four out of six. And 91% said I got better at something. Well, why? Every day, these questions get us to challenge ourselves. Now, let me give you the hardest question you can ask yourself every day. It has four qualities. Are you ready? Here's the hardest question. And it's totally counterintuitive. Number one, you write the question. And why is it hard? You cannot blame the idiot that wrote the question. Number two, you know the answer. Why is that hard? Well, you can't say you don't know how to do it. Number three, you know it's important. Can't say it's trivial. And number four, all you have to do to make a high score is try. You don't even have to succeed. Just try. Why is that so hard? Nobody to blame. I think that's a great lesson. That's why phrasing it that way is so instructive. Did I do my best too? That's right. Yeah, I, I really like the way you phrase that. You know, um, in your book, you also have a, an acronym, AWOT. And this is a question you ask yourself when you have to decide when to engage or when to tackle something and when to let it go. The question right. I believe that you ask is, am I willing at this time to make the investment required to make a positive difference on this topic. Um, as you, I, I think I got it right. As you point out, AWOT is a delaying mechanism, which is interesting to me. Why is it so important to have a delaying mechanism between trigger and behavior? So, you know, Peter Drucker said, our mission in life is to make a positive difference, not to prove how smart we are, not to prove how right we are. We're not here on earth to prove we're smart. We're here to make a positive difference. So that question is, am I willing at this time to make the investment required? Am I willing first? Am I gonna to try to do this at this time now to make the investment required? And there's always an investment to make a positive difference, not just to prove I'm right, but to make a positive difference on this topic. If the answer is yes, you go do it. Big or small, you do it. If the answer is no, you just let it go. And we're not here to prove we're smart. We're here to make a difference. And so in a sense, what it's doing is it's causing us to pause just a moment 
Yes. And, and understand what's important to us. And is it worthy of my time, my attention to do this now? It is. And if it's not, don't do it. Right. Right. Let me ask one final question. We are facing such a difficult environment today. We mm -hmm. are, there's a pandemic going on. There's matters of social unrest and injustice. Yeah. There's political turmoil. You know, we seem as, as groups farther apart, not closer together. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, you know, if we think about the book tri Triggers and, and Changing Behavior, are there lessons to be learned for the current environment that seems yeah. so challenging for us? Yeah, I think there are. And the key lesson I would give you is focus on something you're willing to try to make a difference. Really, am I willing to make a difference here? Am I going to do something positive? Or am I just talking? I think that's an awfully good goal for, for taking an environment where you might feel overwhelmed and ensuring that we can do one positive thing to move ourselves forward and, and put one foot in front of the other right? That's what it's about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Marshall Goldsmith, leading executive coach and best-selling author, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate your time. This has been another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Teresa Mackin, joined today by the Dean of the Kelly School, I.D. Kessner. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week.